Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Spiritualize with Chris and Jess. And I have to say, we are just so excited to have Mina back to the podcast. She has been, our first episode with her has been one of the top listened, of course, and it's just been blowing up. And so we, of course, had to have her back. She is a best-selling author and just released her new book, Lady Balls, which has hit number one across multiple categories on Amazon and all over. And I I mean, this book is life-changing. I feel like I'm like newly awakened by being a part of this book. And so, um, yes, welcome, Mina. How's it going? Oh Hello. my goodness. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be back. And um, I'm so glad that you guys love the book. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's the book itself is just like, it's, it's so vulnerable. And I know we were talking about this going um, into the podcast, but how did you reach for the depth of of everything inside you to share your story, um, you know, all the way from childhood, even like experiences with your family uh, and all of that texture, all of that richness really helps crystallize and, and and bring all of your concepts and your spiritual epiphanies to life. And so what was what was just the process to kick it off? What was the process of writing this book for you? It was one of the easiest things I've done, but it was also like internally one of the ones that required the most growth. So this was the book I didn't want to write. So when um, I would be live streaming on my YouTube channel and people would say, Mina, you should write a book. I would notice that I would get angry inside. Like, I didn't want to even read those comments where they said that. And what happened in July was I was live streaming and I ended up accidentally reading one of those comments. And I noticed that as I was reading it, like, Mina, you should write a book. I felt angry, which was really unusual because, I, you know, I've been doing all this inner work. I journal every day. I meditate. So after that live stream ended, I went in my journal and I was like, what is going on with you? Like, why would you get angry? If your people are requesting a book, like that's a compliment. So I I started having all of these things come up of, you know, only these type of book people write books. I had already written a book. That's the funny thing. Like I already had a book from 2016. And so I had to pack and leave for my timeline jumping intensive. I was teaching in US Virgin Islands. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, this is deep. Like I'm going to get into this later. I don't want to open up this can of worms right now. So I closed my journal. And I fly to U.S. Virgin Islands and I'm teaching this intensive and I keep telling the girls, I'm feeling like something's coming up. Like, I'm like, I can smell something. I feel it, but I don't know what it is. It feels like a timeline jump. That's exactly what I said to the girls. It's like in the recording. Two days later, I'm sitting on the beach with my family in U.S. Virgin Islands and my husband's like, oh, I'm going to take the kids kayaking. You want to come? I'm like, no, I'm just going to sit here on the beach. You guys go. So he takes the kids kayaking. And all of a sudden, I have this urge to pick up my phone. And I can't find it. I'm like looking for it. And then I'm like, it's like buried in like a pile of like sand. So because I'm on the beach. So I, I pick up the phone, I dust it off. And I open up the notes. And I just start typing. It's a, I, I type lady balls. And then I just stopped, start typing, typing, typing. By the time Irfan came back with the kids, I had two chapters, but I didn't know it was a book. So I didn't know if this is an email. I don't know if I'm doing a journal entry. Like God tricked me. I'm not revealed anything. That night, 
you know, my husband's like, you're awfully quiet. And I said, I think I'm writing a book. And he's like, you are? And I said, I think I have two chapters of a book. So that, and then in three weeks, uh, well, in one week we came back, in three weeks, the book was written. Wow. So cool. <laughs> yeah, it was the craziest thing too, because it did, I wrote my first book in a very linear fashion. Like I teach courses, right? Like, so I know how to do like, take the person from this to this journey, right? Like I know how to do the linear thing, but this book was driving me crazy because I would get like chapter seven. And can't I, like, what is happening? So I talked to my husband and I shared that in the book where he was like, it's like a movie. They don't film a movie in like one linear fashion. They film the different shots and but the story is still being told and you're flashing forward and you're flashing back and I'm like oh my god that's it it's like the downloads are just coming in and there were things that I would like type out and then freak out I'm like I can't say this like you know is this gonna make my family like these are things that I buried and like don't often bring up because I don't want you know my family to look back I've done my inner work and I don't blame my family for any of the experiences now but so but I would sit, have to sit there and like do the inner work and say but this is what happened this is my truth and they they deserve to know how I got here so there was a lot of internal work but this is the easiest thing I've ever done it just it just flew out of me it was so bizarre wow That's yeah I think that's really that integration isn't it it's those years of work and that inner work and just really, first of all, just that integrated um, energetics, it's just all within you. And then obviously that channeling aspect of it's just coming through and it's now and it's go. And so I love, I love that aspect of it. What, what is the, obviously Chris and I have read it, but what is the, the soul of the book? What is the main message that you want to get across before we uh, sort of dive into the, you know, the bits and pieces of the book? My main message is that good, kind-hearted, spiritual people, loving people have forgotten their savage side. They've gone into people-pleasing, nice girl, turn the other cheek. And because of that, what's been happening in society is that for the first time, I, I believe that the predators are starting to outnumber the good, kind-hearted people. Because they haven't forgotten that savage side, the evil savage I call versus the sacred savage. So this book is a reminder of that innate savageness that all of us help has that helps us survive, that has us looking out for us and our own. It has the predators skipping over our homes, right? So this is supposed to help you understand that you're people pleasing, you're turning the other cheek, you're, you know, overly polite, overly kind, like that's not serving humanity. Like there is no spirituality without the savage nature that protects that the container around it. And so that's what this book is supposed to remind you that if you turn the other cheek, if we keep doing that enough times, like there aren't going to be enough spiritual people left, like it's just going to be predators taking advantage of each other. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, that, that I mean, I myself, I feel like I'm, I had fallen into just in this awakening journey, like the love and light and all of that. And then I'm like, oh, wait a second. So much of my, uh, of this and the book resonated with me because 
there, there you talk about you know just being this like legacy line breaker and how over this trajectory um you you yourself this is why it's it, it's so i felt so connected had to overcome people pleasing overgiving and you know even um i feel like you took like the ap courses like the advanced courses cuz cuz most people might go to your YouTube now and be like oh you know everything was just so easy for Mina and she this was like not at all anything she had to deal with but you go so personal uh the just the chapter around uh womb wounds with your about your mother just being in the masculine and you know just you were so open about talking about the difficulties and of childhood trauma and what most people who go through the spiritual awakening journey they kind of come into that victim state like well this was the cards that I was dealt so of course I'm not going to be able to to make this uh, or to to make anything out of my life but you were able to completely 180 like it was almost like from being here it was that catapult for you so how was that even like a spiritual process because even um, the hardships that you experienced as uh, in your childhood at very young, you were also able to just catapult into success. You know, um, what I've seen in my life going back and forth between the Western culture and the Eastern culture, and then my parents and my dad from was from a very wealthy family, you know, born with a silver spoon in his mouth, like he had different people working for him. By the time he was five, like one person's job was to just go him buy candy. One person's job was to like carry him on the shoulder and like walk around when he got bored. Like that's how my dad was like born, you know? So I saw like what happens to people when they're born into luxury and born into everything being easy. And then my mom's side of the family was poor. And then they got poorer when my grandfather got in an accident and then, you know, he couldn't provide anymore. And my mom had to step in to help her, her mom and her siblings. And what I realized is that, the people that I know, extended family members, friends, even on the news, you hear about, you know, God forbid, someone's a baby getting trapped underneath the car. And then the woman who shouldn't have been able to lift the car lifts the car. So what I've learned is that sometimes when life gives you like that, that hardship, that rock bottom, mm -hmm. that becomes sort of your springboard. Because when you have it sort of easy from day one, and I'm not saying, you know, if you've had it all made, you can't be successful. Of course you can. But I, I feel like that evolutionarily sometimes clicks that conserve energy switch. Like if I just even look at my parents, my dad was so chill, not ambitious at all. He never needed to be. My mom, on the other hand, like she had hunger, like this woman was hungry to make something of herself. And if I look at my cousins on both sides, my cousins, my female cousins on my mom's side of the family, all they have is beauty. They don't have money. They don't have a good family name. They have everything stacked against them. But they were freaking savage and end up in like these really great marriages, married to really wealthy men where they're loved and adored and now have everything. And my cousins on my dad's side who were born into wealth, like, t you know, were totally chill, totally relaxed, end up with predatory husbands that are taking advantage of them. And, and so it was so easy. I'm like, you know, Sometimes when the cards are stacked against you, that's actually going to be the thing that's going to help you the most. Because when you're in between a rock and a hard space, you have to channel all of your power. You have to be like that mom whose baby is under a car and you have to use 
all of your might to lift that damn car up. So I had no choice. I had absolutely no choice but to get out of that situation by any means necessary. Wow. Yeah, it's making me think that um, what I've been really exploring recently, which really relates to this, is that internal boundary system, which is coming from childhood. And when we have those sort of firm nose in childhood and we have that presence of strength and um, structure and discipline, that that is uh, a boundary system that goes into imprints into our nervous system. And so then when we come into adulthood, it's much easier then to actually just take the action from that boundary place and to really know what your value is and what you bring and that it's... um, you know, you're able to really sense uh, the predator and to just avoid that. And so that was really, um, you know, reflected in the book of how important that is to be able to observe the, the predator. And I think you're so right in that there's there's been the shift of, you know, a lot of sort of nar- narcissism going on, which is very, very sort of prevalent. Um, and in that spiritual community, there is this this thing, as you say, to just uh, come into that unconditional love, come into um, all of this love and light stuff. But of course, that unconditional love is very boundaried and it's strong and it's discerning. There's so much discernment in unconditional love that you that it's so protective because love love in the right way protects you and when there's that that self-love and loyalty to self that you're always putting yourself first and nobody else everybody comes after that then that's the protect protector field and so it was so interesting reading about your parents and I love hearing now about the cousins as well and your your observations of what was going on there but with your parents it was it was so the way the story was told really gives you such an idea of the feminine and masculine energetics between husband and wife and how important it is for the masculine to be the provider, um, which I truly believe is that role. Because when the woman takes that on, you just see, as as you described with your mother, that um, they get sick and ultimately can die early. And it's it's just not good for the feminine to be the provider in the family. And we seem to have come into this state of culture where it's now acceptable and it's almost becoming the norm that the woman does provide in a lot of cases. Um, And so what are your thoughts on really, you know, helping women move through into that space where they're just not going to be the provider in their family? So I think that first you have to choose someone that agrees with that. And a lot of time we work with couples where they'll come in and they got into the 50-50 situation and the guy doesn't even know that that's why he's unhappy because they're both unhappy. They just don't know what it is. They think it's like division of chores or like they come up with these like pseudo like weird things. But I'm, but what's really going on underneath is that he doesn't feel like a man. He feels emasculated and she feels like she has to do it all by herself. The world's burden is on her shoulders. There is no polarity. So what I recommend is letting the the man provide the evolutionary basics, right? So 
the truth is that women are earning a lot of money now. They're they're more educated. Single women buy more homes than single men. Like this is the reality of how it is. But that doesn't mean that you you know put on the pants and have your mustache and become the man, right? Like it, you can still let him. Like for example, I make a lot more money than my husband now. He retired me at twenty eight when I got married to him. And I did nothing for like nine years except just have my babies and, and play with them and do inner work, like do whatever I want. But then eventually this desire to like teach and, and create something came about. And then this business was formed. Well, because of the nature of how, you know, uh, social media and digital content works, like I went from like, you know, being a stay at home mom to like earning multiple six figures a year and then multiple six figures a month and then seven figures a month like really quickly in the span of just a couple of years but he is still the provider it's the energy of you know he still pays all the evolutionary bills so that means he pays for the housing he pays for the utilities he pays for the food he pays for the cars he he still feels like you know he's got me covered and then and then there's psychological protection there's emotional protection, like guarding me from the world. And like, it's like, I've got your back in all the areas. And so it, it's not about who even earns more. It's about the intention. Like, for example, when we were looking to buy this house, um, you know, he, he gave me a budget. He's like, this is how much of a house I can afford. Now I could have gone for, I probably, if I wanted to cut a bottom a house for 20 million, $30 million, that would have been a very easy loan for me to get approved of. But he's like, no, this is the budget that we're buying in because this is what I can afford. And I was like, okay, because I don't want to sleep next to a man that feels like his wife bought him a house or he's living in a house that he didn't provide for his family. That's very emasculating. It would have killed our polarity. So um, it's the intention of doing the thing that's best for the health of both parties and then the health of your union and then the health of your family. Okay. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, so unpacking that a little bit, where was that turning point? So going back to your mom and dad, there must have been this turning point where you, or have you, have you always been like that, where you're just like, no, I, this is the way that it should be. And, you know, how have you moved from what you experienced, what you saw in your upbringing to this worldview? What was that uh, switch like? So I grew up, you know, I was born and raised in Chicago, grew up here, idolizing the American culture. I loved my American roots. I loved like the American Western culture. And my parents were from Pakistan and they would take us there every year. We would go visit mainly because it was easier. It was, there's a whole, like a lot of bits in there too, but obviously they wanted us to see our grandparents and be connected to the culture. But another reason was, is that they, when they couldn't afford to live here, they they would send us to our grandparents house and then my mom could like move in with a roommate and like make money and like it was it was also out of necessity so they'd send us there so every year I would have this contrast and the the fact that my mom was the breadwinner in my family was it's very unusual for our culture it's very unusual 
the men just provide. It's actually considered a sin for a man to eat his wife's earnings. Like it's against the religion of that country, like that the prominent culture. So so everyone looked down upon my dad, like his family didn't respect him. Like his family would say that, why are you like letting your wife provide while you're like sitting at home and having these in-between jobs? So they weren't happy with it. So I would go and I would see how all of my aunts and my cousins and all my extended family were like being provided for and taken cared for. And then I would come home and see my mom emasculating my dad every day, you know, making him feel bad, my dad going into depression and anxiety. So there was that contrast. However, I grew up thinking, oh my God, American people are so lucky. They get to have boyfriends and then they get to move in together. Like they get to know each other. So, so all of this is going on in my psyche. As I get older, I get, uh, I go to Northwestern University and I start studying, uh, uh, evolution, anthropology, psychology, human nature, predatory nature, spirituality, religion. And all of a sudden, it's like this really weird experience of like, oh my God, like my Pakistani culture is so, it's it's so similar to how they're saying we used to live back in the day, like evolutionarily, like there's, do they know this? Like I started having all these questions. And then I'm studying all these religions, Christianity, Islam, Judaism. I'm like, wow, all of the religions match what evolution is saying. And it matches how my ancestors in Pakistan live. And so what I realized, it's not like they knew this. They never evolved out of it. They're not as modern as Western culture. So they like never stopped doing the thing that homo sapiens have always been doing. And so, uh, during this time, I'm seeing like all of my American friends getting like having boyfriends, boyfriend after boyfriend moving in with guys, not getting the ring, or then getting married finally, because they like forced him and cornered him to propose, and then that turning into a disaster. And it just like, became really clear. I, by the way, made that mistake too. So with my first marriage, I made the same mistake. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to marry who I want to marry. And no, my parents are not going to vet him. Like in my culture, it's the norm for the family to vet the guy. We ask for bank statements, family history. Like we will look at your family history seven generations back. Like it's a whole process. I rejected all of that and ended up marrying a uh, predator, a whole INS thing. He needed a green card. wrecked my credit stole eighty thousand dollars i'm pregnant he wants an abortion i'm like why we're married not realizing that this guy is about to bolt the minute that he gets his green card and it like the you know two weeks after he got his green card it was it was like it's over like it's it's gone right so all of this while i'm studying this and after i got divorced I went into this really deep, dark place because it was like it the whole thing just hit me that I have been idealizing this culture that doesn't understand relationships. And I love my American culture for like the boundaries and the independence. There's there's things I've learned to embody from my American culture that my culture doesn't have. And I wish they did my my original culture. But relationships are not something that Western uh, culture understands because we've, we've gone so off course from our human history that it doesn't make psychological or evolutionary sense. So I, I, it hit me. I'm like, Oh my God, my culture understands relationships. That's one thing they're good at. They have a lot of issues, but the one thing they're good at, it's like, for example, in the U S the 
divorce rate for first marriages is over it's 54%, right? It's 4% in my culture. And it's only higher now because there's a lot of people that are looking at American culture and saying, wow, they're so lucky and doing the same thing I did. So 4% versus 54%, right? Like it's huge. In my 43 years on this planet, I have never, ever, ever, ever heard of any Pakistani woman having a child out of wedlock. Like it's unheard of. Like if it's ever happened, it's probably so hidden and so unusual that no one ever heard of it. And and the women are treated like women and the men are treated like men and everyone's healthy. Their hearts are open. You know, people get to live their na- uh, human nature. The problem is that in the Western culture, to keep people scared, they show images of that culture of like what I call the Jerry Springer version. I don't know if you guys are old yeah. enough to remember Jerry Springer, remember. but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh-huh. yeah. so they'll show you like the extreme cases. But if you go back there, that's not how it is. Like the moms get to stay home with their babies. Everyone's and that's the number one thing. Oh, my God. I noticed this when I was uh, when I would go back and forth as a child. I would go there and feel so loved and so held and like everyone's doors were always open. You know, my grandmothers, both of my grandparents, I never, ever, ever saw their doors locked. It was always open and people, their neighbors would walk in and people would have conversations. My uh, grandmother's neighbors would take us and like bathe us, feed us, tutor us, and then send us back at night to tuck us in. Like it was just like one big happy family. And then I'd come here and like, we're not seeing our parents for three days and my parents are fighting when they're home and like you have to keep your doors locked and like don't talk to your neighbors and don't tell anyone that you're home alone and I'm like wait I thought this was supposed to be the free country and the abundant country and that's supposed to be the third world poor country where people are unhappy and even my poor relatives there their hearts were so open like if they had one little piece of bread everyone was going to share it and they had no hard feelings about like Mm -hmm. they were stressed out about money but their hearts were open and then here you would see people that should be abundant by contrast but they're upset they're fighting they're angry their hearts are collapsed they're complaining so it was just such a shock for my little baby nervous system to like keep seeing this until I was in my 20s and I started studying the stuff and it just started making sense I love it um one thing that just really touched me and honestly I was even just thinking about it before asking the question and it it kind of made me want to cry but you talk about um how your YouTube channel was uh born out of grief out of like uh you know your mom uh passing away and then it and and in some ways, I'm just like I look at I'm like almost like proud of I'm proud of you so much, Vita. I'm like how your YouTube has just expanded, exploded, and you you help tens of thousands of women and men in there as well. And but it it came from a place that you had to find something deep within yourself, and as you said, create a legacy. And I think uh, what really touched me is that you you were at a point where you're like, oh, I needed to connect. And what you had learned, what you witnessed was now not just going to like die in vain. Like it was going to be a testimony. It was going to be something that you transmuted into triumph. And so um, can you just tell a little bit about like what that process was like, you know, um, 
how even on those early days of YouTube, like we know on your channel, you have millions and millions of views. Um, what, what was that process like on in those early days of, of was it just born out of the passion? I'm sure you did you have the goals of what you wanted the YouTube to be or were you just kind of I got to express the divine is moving through me? Um, so I should start by by uh, mentioning that I deleted about a thousand of my my first like I think five or six years on YouTube. I deleted those videos and I regret it because I wish you guys could have seen. Um, I have some older videos, but I deleted all of them because they were just so random. I had no goal other than I just was in a dark place. And I was sad and um, my, so my mom passed away and then I had my second son, um, my, my first with my, my current husband, but I like six weeks after that. So I was, I was very pregnant when my mom passed away. So my doctors couldn't figure out if it's like me just grieving or I have postpartum depression or like both, but I was just very, very sad. And um, so I already had started a blog before this, uh, this point and I think my father-in-law and my mother were the only two people reading my, my blog and so it was called the universe grew the blog and so someone recommended they're like you know you should do YouTube you should uh, I'm like well my blog isn't even doing that well like what's YouTube you know and she was like well YouTube is like this video platform and like you can make content and you can connect with other people it was the connect with other people part mm -hmm. that was like okay so I went on YouTube and I spent two days watching other people's content. And the third day I made my first video. So that's usually how I am with everything. Like I'm just the God says go. I'm just I launch. So I launched. I started making haul videos. I did what that's what, what I was watching. So I said, OK, um, I made like what's in my bag and like look what I bought from Victoria's Secret pink and like here's my Mac order and this is the skincare that I use like super random stuff and then people started following and I would spend hours a day having conversations with these women from like everywhere and we would just talk about random things makeup and and eventually um, I think it was like when I moved to Houston so we were in South Carolina and then we moved to Houston 18 months after afterwards. So when I got here, every so often, instead of doing just Louis Vuitton hauls, I would say, oh, you know, this is what I'm experiencing in my marriage. And this is how I'm overcoming it. Or this is how I got diagnosed with RA. So I started sharing that journey of like, I'm changing my diet. I don't want to be on medication. I'm not going to end up like my mom. So I start sharing that. And that's when it was like, everyone was like, tell us more, like, tell us more, tell us more. So there was no plan in 2016. So I started in 2011. In 2016, someone commented saying, you should be a life coach. You'd be so good. I didn't know what that was. So I ignored the comment. Someone else said it a few weeks later. And then a few weeks later, someone else said it. The third time I turned around and I said, Irfan, what's a life coach? And he's like, I don't know. So I'm, so he starts Googling it and he's like, oh my God, it, it sounds like you. He's like, a life coach is something that, that would be like you. And I'm like, really? So I look it up. I'm like, oh my God, like, this is great. So a week later, I was uh, that day, actually, I was enrolled in this like certification life coaching thing. I was already overqualified anyways, because of my background from Northwestern. But I took this course just to find out what the hell this is. And a week later, I get the certificate, I go online, I'm like, hey, girls, you remember how you said I should be a life coach? 
I'm a life coach. I had 10 clients that day. And um, the rest, as they say, is history. It's crazy how fast moving it was. But I was made to do this. I was uh, God tricked me into it. He tricked. He's good at tricking you into writing the books, into starting your life coach. Like you're just in the flow, and then it just happens. It's so cool. Yeah, it's um, you know, just like your book, you know, is written in a non-linear fashion. I think how we're going to speak is very non-linear too. And so I want to go back into the sort of masculine, feminine energetics because what I notice in you is the radiance. There's just like this extraordinary radiance, which is that that feminine who's been allowed to be feminine and also has that integrated masculine within her, but has that that outer masculine, the husband, who is able to really provide and to allow, essentially, I guess, allow you to really soften into that. And so you see that beauty and that radiance. And it's not it's not to do with with looks, it's like an inner light, an inner radiance, an inner beauty. And this is so important because that is one of the the foundational uh, frequencies for a woman or the feminine is beauty. Um, It's we just, you know, it's so important uh, to the feminine and to to be in a relationship that doesn't allow you to really um, let that radiant shine is such a it's it's just shouldn't be you know this is what we really want to avoid and so what is it well I'd really love to dive into what you think about beauty and radiance and and this side of life I completely agree with you Jess that when you are in a relationship where you can surrender to the masculine and you know without a shadow of a doubt that this man has you covered. And obviously this goes with same-sex relationships too. In fact, my experience has been that sometimes same-sex relationships do it better because they're not taking gender for granted. They're not thinking, oh, well, she's a woman and I'm a man because that's just how we are. So one person, whoever is you know, the more masculine identified, sets the containment, sets the container. And then the more feminine identified being will be the one that surrendered to that. And I do have a very, very cultivated masculine energy side, which I love because I just love my masculine side as well. It saved my butt, first of all, when I was a single mom for four years, right? I needed to be there. I was going to school full-time, had a thriving real estate business, raising my son by myself. So I really appreciate that side of me. But when it comes to like how I do life most of the time, you know, my husband has got everything covered. I don't have to even think about a lot of things that nor- like a normal woman have to worry about. And because of that, I'm, I'm like blossoming and well watered and I can be in my body because I know that I'm protected. I'm safe. Someone else is at the goalpost watching. He's the lookout. He's the everything. And because of that, you know, I, I can be that feminine radiance that's just dancing in my flow and just creating and just, you know, um, being able to be, like I say, he brings the money, I bring the honey, but it's more than money. It's psychological protection. It's like, I'm your lookout. Like, he's my ride or die. Like, he's the person that I call for everything and anything, whether it's to celebrate or to vent or to ask, you know, for support or help or anything. And, and then I just surrender to that. And it, it's, 
I think every woman deserves this. It's our birthright. That's how it used to be. And it's gotten twisted now. You know, if God wanted us to be men, we would have had 15 times more testosterone like men do. But fem masculine energy was a fail safe system in women. Like if all the men went out hunting and something bad happened to them, or maybe they're just out hunting for three days. And, and for the moment, a woman, you know, the women in the tribe are attacked or something happens that they need to stand in, in their masculine and be in their fight or flight for a moment. We have the ability to do that. But we have to understand that our body is not equipped to handle that for more than emergency situations. It was a crisis switch. So if you're in that switch for a year, five years, 10 years, your body now, instead of taking care of that little cancer sprouting up or taking care of like, you know, health and beauty and radiance and like doing all the things that the body does naturally, it's like, okay, I'm still waiting. This crisis situation hasn't ended yet. Like, and now all of a sudden you're burned out, you have adrenal fatigue, autoimmune issues, and God forbid something worse. And because, you know, you're not ever getting to turn that fail safe crisis red alert system off because no one you know has you and the primary problems i see today because i work with very very successful women right like these are ceos scientists authors i mean just you know cfos like badass women that are doing amazing things like the top one percent of world uh like female entrepreneur success leaders and they're married a lot of times and but they're emasculating their man. They're they're like not. They have this stance of like I can do it better. I have to do it by myself. He's not gonna get it right. And he's like, okay, like conserve energy, switch activated, and he's chilling. And then at the same time, it's like, well, he doesn't do anything. He just well, yeah, because you don't let him. You don't know how to receive. You emasculate him. So this is what we reverse. Yeah, it's that, yeah, it's always going back to the nervous system that we're, you know, the feminine is just not, or with, if the, you know, the balance of hormones, it's just, we're just not made for that, um, that hunter um, type of energy. And to keep being in the hunter mode is so detrimental. And you just, it's, it's so, it's so prevalent at the moment, especially among women who are, uh, burning out so fast and they they really just they're striving so hard and of course that you can really build an incredibly successful business but from a different place not from that hunter masculine place but from this place that just sort of springs out of you that has an ease to it that doesn't have this um this other energy of competitiveness and you know going in for the hunt going for the goals and it's such a different energy and to i guess either you're going to have someone there who you know a husband or part masculine partner who can really um provide that sense of protection where your, your nervous system can really just really relax um but if you don't have that then there's this need to really understand how to work with your own energy. So what are your thoughts on that when you don't have a partner and you're having to balance both at the same time and if you've got your own business, how are you advising women to really sort of switch between the two? Oh, I love this question. And I get asked this a lot from my, my single students and my single clients. So what you're going to have to do is remember that the masculine is the structure. It's the container, it's the systems, and the feminine is the flow. 
So just one example of with my clients, single clients, I say, instead of you paying bills every month, we have to set a system and a container for that. So what can we automate? So as many things as you can automate so that you're in your you're more in your flow, right? Automation might be setting a budget for certain things and then having certain things on auto auto pay so that that's not something that you have to worry about all the time. So in your business, um, this is a great example because it helps you do this in your life. In my business, the masculine containers are my YouTube channel and then the Thinkific platform that I use. So when someone watches a YouTube video and they click on a, a link, they have a very predictable experience, right? It's like watch Mina's YouTube channel, click on the link, go onto the Thinkific site, buy a course, the course is downloaded, I can view it. It's like very predictable. It's very safe. We're not it's not like, oh, well, will I, if I buy this, will the course get delivered? No, they know if they buy it, the course is immediately getting delivered. Yes, but, you know, is it really going to go over to the site? Yes, they know that it's there is a process. It's a structure. What's the feminine in my business? My art, the, the teachings, the skill set. So if we were to switch this to the dentist, his brick and mortar place is his masculine structure the receptionist that checks you in masculine structure the credit card place where you put your card masculine structure where's the feminine the art form the fact that he can look at your mouth and maybe give you a better smile that's a skill set so in your life if you think about well what are my structures your root your habits your routines, what can I automate? What can, how can I make my life so structured and easy where I can just be in my flow? If you're like walking around every day, like your head's cut off, like a chicken, you know, chicken with the head cut off, it you can't ever be in your feminine flow. So through your own systems that you create and structures, then you start feeling safe in your body. And that's something you have to allow. You have to program your nervous system to start feeling safe, right? So when, when you're single, you know, you're, um, property or where the building that you're like living in, the doorman, the the knowing that you can call nine one one, that's your like psychological protection, right? Like, okay, I live in a country that's safe. I can call nine one one. The fire people can show up. This is a safe neighborhood. My my doorman's downstairs. I'm safe. Okay. When you wake up, you know, you know, okay, I, I'm going to work out. I'm going to do this. The bills are automatically paid. I've got them on auto play paid. This is how much I'm going to spend on this masculine structure so when you have these predictable you know things set up then you can just be like oh well what do I want to do today like what do, you know how am I going to have fun how am I going to be in my radiance what am I going to create but if every day you're like looking over your shoulder and like am I safe do I like oh my god did I forget to pay my bill did I forget this did did I order the laundry detergent you can't be in your feminine flow. So you're going to have to create all of those things for yourself, which is actually really great practice for calling in the divine masculine. Mm. Love that. What are your thoughts, Chris? Uh, well, I love that you're talking and Jess, you brought up the nervous system and the safety in the body, because this was a, like another profound part of this book where you had expressed, you know, by in your twenties, you had 20 investment pro uh, properties you you know had multiple six figures in your business and you were just killing it and um but you didn't feel safe in your body and i find this happens so much with people like in the celebrity space or you know the high net worth space where they have ultra abundance on the material level but um there's still this like 
fear of like, is it going to, am I going to sustain this? Can I keep it up or whatever? And I need to get the next thing in order to keep up with everything else that's expanded. So the safety in the body, I, I just, everything that like, I feel like God gave you and equipped you with the anthropology, the psychology, the evolution, the, the coaching and spirituality, it all gets to play in this very cohesive system. So for you, what was that process of like really soothing yourself and then we we could talk about your genius archetypes from like the basic babe self-aware barbie million dollar babe and high-end divinity like the, i i was listening to them i was like a little bit like oh shit wait here we go like listen like and i'm sure all of your clients feel this way but like that jump between the self-aware barbie where they're like you know kind of there and then but it's like okay how do i really integrate so and embody the the safety in in me um so yeah that that was a little bit of two questions but what was your journey in that in that way so like everyone else chris i thought that if i just have a little bit more then i'll feel safe not realizing that my childhood trauma like up until this point when I was in my mid 20s, I've got all of this real estate stuff I'm doing. I I was still in school at Northwestern University full time. I love school. That was like my happy place. So like I stayed in school as long I like prolonged that like I was like, I love this. That was like the place where I go to escape the world and like learn everything that I love. So I was doing all of these things. And and I didn't know anything about the nervous system at this point. I didn't know that safety is something that you internally create. So I just thought, okay, well, if I just buy another property and then I have more sources of passive income, but everything that I was adding to it was actually making me feel more unsafe. It was all still just triggering that internal wound. What was a wake up call for me was when I married Irfan. So I was 20, I was 27, about to be 28 when I married him. So I got married in October of 2028. And then the next month I turned 28. I marry him. And he moves, he retires me and moves me and my son from Chicago to South Carolina, where he has a home. And he gives me a car. He adds me to all his bank accounts, adds me to his credit cards. And now I'm just like sitting there. And that was like the most uncomfortable I've ever been in my life. I, I couldn't understand it. I was having a conversation with one of my cousins. And I was like, oh my God, like I freaking did it. Like I, I don't have to work. I don't have to pay any bills. Like I could just be at home all day with my son. I have all these credit cards. I have a car, like everything's done. And she's like, I feel like there's a butt coming. I'm like, I feel really uncomfortable. And she said, babe, you've never been safe. You've never had like a moment of time. She's like, all I've seen you do your entire life is run from one place to another, put out that fire, do this, protect yourself here, argue with this person. She's like, she's like, you don't know how to be content and happy. And I listened to it, but it didn't really register at that time. It was like, okay, whatever, kind of a thing. And after that, for about I would say about a year, I proceeded to find things wrong with my husband, who's doing everything right. Like, let me tell you what he's doing. This guy wakes up, goes to work, comes home, you know, plays with Armand, spends time with me, helps me cook, helps me clean. If I've got any problem, he's going to solve it, goes to work again, comes home again, like everything right. And I'm like, well, what if he's cheating on me? And what if he's doing this? And he looked at me funny that way. 
that tone. Like, it was like my body didn't know how to relax and just be. <laughs> and so for a whole year, I try to find things wrong with him. And I, it was like my body was like, aha, but this thing. Nope. Uh, I'm going to get him now. And it took me about a year to be like, he's perfect. There's literally nothing wrong with him. Why? What's wrong with you that you are trying to deliberately find something wrong with him? And then I would trigger him because like he's doing everything right. And like I would just accuse him of stuff or complain. And he would say, all I'm hearing you do is like complain. It's like I'm not feeling appreciated. And so we kept triggering each other. And that's where I really, really had to look at myself. And I had this one moment where I was like, what is wrong with you, Mina? Your entire like four year journey as a single mom, you kept saying, if I only had this done, then I would do, you know, spend more time with my kid. If I only had this, I would work out. If I only had this, I would read more books. Like that's all you wanted. And you literally have that now. Instead of doing those things, you're picking fights with the man that's providing them for you. And that was like the first kind of like, kind of taking responsibility and being honest and saying, I've been the common denominator in all of my issues. Like this guy is not it. And so I made a list. I was a self-aware Barbie. We make lists when we're self-aware Barbies, right? Yeah. So I made a list. And I'm like, um, I have all this time. What are all the things that I said I would do if I ever had time? And I wrote down number one was like, read. I've always just, I loved reading. You know, that's like, that was my happy place since a little girl. Read, spend time, more time with Arman, work out. And so I started focusing on those things versus nitpicking things that my husband was not doing, but I was just trying. And that was kind of the first process. But through that whole journey, up until like I really started deep inner work, it felt very uncomfortable to be okay, mm. to be happy, to be provided for, to be loved, to not have to be the firefighter myself and have someone else, you know, doing all those things. It was very uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, would you say that when you uh, expand and more and more is coming in, because you said you that triggered even more unsafety, but is that like a call for you to just then create more safety in that container of abundance? Yes, I think that's something that I, I'm really passionate about teaching. And I'm still doing this, I have to do this like every couple of months, that the, when you, you you are allowed to add more, you're allowed to have more properties, more money, more fame, more children, more everything. That is the like soul's desire. That's what we came here to do. A lot of people think that, oh, well, we it's like too much. We just have to keep ourselves small. It wasn't that I was buying more properties and that was the problem. It was that I wasn't expanding my energetic capacity to hold those properties and hold the energy and everything that comes with that alongside of that. So this is what I call like the normalizing process, right? So um, when when you when I have something new coming up, whether it's like more romance or another baby or writing another book or another course or, you know, more publicity, more people are watching me now. I'm very careful to now expand my nervous system accordingly. I, my greatest desire is to get a lottery winner as a client because I this is this is the reason the 95% of lottery winners end up worse than before and wish that they had never gone the lottery is because they don't know this. And so the energy of this new abundance drowns them. It just it crushes their soul. This is why they end up 
in such bad position. Same thing with NBA players. Our home was actually uh, designed by an NBA player. It was previously owned by an NBA player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he, uh, they had that same thing where like he had all this massive success and then it started crushing him. And so this is something that if you're not energetically also expanding, and when I say energetically, it's also something physical, expanding your ability to carry all of that, you, it's going to drown you. That's where people are scared of fame. They're scared of money. They're scared of all this abundance. You don't have to be scared. You just have to expand your container to be able to carry all those things. Now, I have a history in my in my early, like teenage years, in my mid-20s, up until my mid-20s, of massive panic attacks. Like, like I would have crippling panic attacks, anxiety. So there is no way I could have had the success that I had unless I was also like any little thing would like if if you were talking to me Chris and then uh, you know my child walked up and was asking me a question like when I was in my I would say okay one of you has to stop talking like two both of you can't talk at me at the same time that's how my nervous system was mm-hmm. so you think I'm gonna be okay with receiving millions of dollars and romance and sex? like no my nervous system is gonna be like okay so one of you has to go away money go away or fame go away something has to go away I can't take it so even now with the book release, my job through this whole process has been watch your nervous system, Nina. Watch your nervous system. Mm-hmm. Like the minute I notice anything, like okay, okay, let's let's sit with that. Let's let's sit with that because anything that new comes that's like different or more expansive, I go within. I slow down. I start like just really being aware that I'm expanding everything properly so that I don't start self-sabotaging or manifesting illnesses or I have a sore throat you know all the stuff we do yeah yeah <laughs> yes that's the real the sort of upper limit thing that Gay Hendricks talks about and he had mentioned the story that you know someone had reached the her upper limit and she'd had this huge speech that she had to do and then she suddenly got this sore throat and couldn't speak and when he did that work that the inner work and nervous system work with her and said it's just fear you've got to just really you know get comfortable with that and he did some sort of exercises with her and then that that sore throat literally just disappeared and he was saying how much um that sort of upper limit does you will just get sick um so it's such a good uh, thing to keep in mind what i would really love to go more into that holding the the capacity or increasing capacity um but what was coming through with that was what i've been writing a lot about is the frequency of denial and that we can have whatever we want and the manifestation is right there there's actually never there's never really anything it's never not there it's just that we deny that it's, we deny ourselves, we self-reject, we say that we can't have something. And this frequency is so, um, it's so, once you're aware that that's what's happening, I think that's where your work really comes into its own uh, by understanding that all of this is available and we've got the nervous system stuff going on. What is it, what are the practices that you do to, other than just awareness, to, um hold hold first of all and then increase the capacity oh this is such a good question um so i think there's like pre-work 
And then there's like daring. So the pre-work is something that's just, I've just ritualized it. Like I don't take chances with this because of my background, because of where I'm coming and because I know that I'm just a big creator, this is not it. Like I know that I'm going to keep going because that's what I came here to do. So knowing that I'm someone that's always going to want more, I'll, I want to experience more things. I want to build a whole legacy. So I journal every day and I meditate every day and I'm very tapped into like even the slightest things happening in my nervous system. To give you an idea of this, I can I can feel when I'm ovulating in my body because I'm that tuned in. So I know exactly like I know what it feels like in my body to release an egg, like which is like crazy. I was having this discussion with my husband's aunt who's a doctor and she was like, I have never heard at any anyone. I was like, because you have to be that in tune that if if I have a sore throat coming on three days later, I'll know it today and I'll know why I'm creating that. Uh, what what container is like, you know, kind of like frizzing out to create that. So that's just the inner work that I've been doing, sitting with myself. So that's the pre. During what I do is I create, I'm at that point where I don't even have to like, I, before, you know how you have vision boards and you you script and you do vision. I don't have to do any of that. It's just all coming all the time. I don't even, like God gives me the thing and then tells me that that was my desire. Before it's like a desire and then you're working towards it and you're waiting. Now it comes and then I'm like, oh, like I didn't even know I needed this. I'm like, thank you for manifesting this, right? So what my process is during is normalizing it. So one thing I do is even though everything around me is moving very fast, very fast, I slow down myself and my nervous system. So it's like, you know, in the in the movies or in the clips where you see a person standing and then there's like everything moving around them. It's like a it's like, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? That's oh, yeah. how I feel. I slow down. So I'm moving super slow internally. I'm super present. Even though there's things being created really fast, I'm super aware of everything happening in my body, the thoughts that are coming in, the feelings, while everything is moving very fast. That way, if I'm like feeling some kind of way or there is a, a mood up and down or a sore throat, I was like the queen of like the sore throat thing. Like that was a big thing for me. Like I just choke up and can't talk now because something's manifesting, right? So I start noticing it and and just being with it. So that my process for that is let's say there's a sore throat coming out because like today we found out my book is on in Barnes and Noble now, right? What did I do? Of course I emailed my team super excited. We had a celebration and then super quiet internally. Okay, I'm good. Nothing's coming up. There's nothing funky happening. But let's say that I did feel something in my throat. Okay. I would have a moment with it. Just just sit with it and just observe it without any need to change it without saying go away it just it's a communication mechanism that's just revealing itself just like the toddler that keeps saying mommy 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 it won't stop until you're like yes baby did you want to say something to mommy right like you want to just give it that attention and then the other thing I'll start doing is I'll start normalizing just saying you know what these are the kind of things that are just normal in your life Lau. like 
of course you're at Barnes and Noble. Why the hell would you not be? Like you're going to be in every bookstore tomorrow. Like this is just who we get to be. Your clients and students will be walking into back book bookstores and sending you pictures of all the displays with your book on it. Like this is just what Mina Arfan does. Like this is just normal. This is just our new reality. This is like not even that exciting actually. It's just like a Tuesday afternoon for Mina Arfan. Like these are the kind of things that don't even register now. Of course I'm at every bookstore why why the hell would I not be so I'm like talking kind of like normalizing it while also looking and and being aware that if there is something that I said where something hit yesterday I was doing this exercise live inside one of my closed groups and I told them my new number that's like a very expansive new number that I want to earn in a month that I've never done I'm basically doubling what I earn in a month now in like one month and so I did this process and I was saying then, and I told them as I'm saying this, there's something in my belly, there's something in my womb that something burns over here. I haven't normalized it yet. So I'm like, that's okay. We're just becoming aware of the things that will become big monsters later. If I was to just do it. And then it's like, no, my, my womb wasn't ready for that yet. So I'm just normalizing it, sitting in it. And the other thing I do, which I don't know if everyone's there yet. So be careful with this one. I've only been doing this one for about 18 months is I normalize fast by moving on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. So before, like before my nervous system can even self-sabotage, it's like, yeah, this is just something we do on a Tuesday and like, okay, what else uh, we're doing that now. So it's like, I just, it's like manifestation stacking where you just move on to the next one. And then that thing in a week or two thing just becomes normal anyways, because it's all like, it's already done. Like, we just this is the kind of stuff we do now. Like, it's just it. So that's another one. But be careful, because some people if their nervous system isn't ready, they're going to be freaking out. Oh, oh, my gosh. I mean, this reminds me of, of one of my favorite uh, parts of the book, just um, talking about the universe is not a peasant. <laughs> and I just love that <laughs> language. It like, it really, um, you know, you talk about God is infinite, he'll never run out of any resources. And something that just, I don't know why it clicked into me, but just there had been years like we're making hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then I kept going back into, okay, wh wh where's the money going? Like uh, hundreds of thousands where's it going? Double that. Where's it going? Like, this is, doesn't make sense. And you said this thing about, you know, asking to be in a space of overflow. And what I realized was like, whether the baseline or the wound was like, oh, let, let me go back to having just enough. Right. And so there's this, um, I find that, uh, uh, that, uh, that that's a common problem for people or an issue is because their um, system is going back to, uh, an initial baseline that feels safe for them or like that feels maybe not safe but feels familiar to them and so um what was your process of really kind of receiving this identity of knowing that oh I could have all of the abundance I you know that that God is is the God of all and that you know you were you talked about transcending the victim in order to become like almost a energetic or vibrational match to your desires, which were always increasing. So um, yeah, can you talk a little bit about just that shift from, I just have enough to going into overflow? Yes, this is such a good uh, question. And it's a common problem, right? Like we all have it. And I talk about in the book, where um, 
again, with everything, there's this polarity with masculine and feminine. And so some of us have the feminine part down where we can call it in, we can call it in, like you were saying, you can, you can call it in, you can make hundreds of 1000s of dollars, no big deal. But then we don't have the masculine, the masculine part is that structure that system of like, okay, this much goes into this investment, this one pays off my mortgage, this one goes into this. And through through the masculine, we can reper- like make more like we make the babies right through that union. And so for me watching my parents, um, the what I saw, what I learned from them was like, I was like, Oh, my God, they're immigrants in this country, they don't speak the language well, they have an accent. And yet they can make money, my parents could make money, they could not keep it to save their life. Like it was like money burned a hole in their pocket. So watching them, I was like, well, if they're immigrants, and they can make all this money, and I was born and raised here, and my English is better, my education is from here, I should be able to make more. So that activated the I can make all the money that I want. But I didn't realize in my 20s that I didn't know, I never learned the masculine container from them, because they didn't know it. Mm-hmm. They didn't know it. The people in my extended family who were really good at the masculine container were miserable. Like these were the people that would stand at the counter and like try to like hold up the whole line over like two pennies, wouldn't go out to eat. There was no fun. So when I would look at the contrast, like, okay, well, my money, you know, my family has money and they always spend it. And then there's nothing left over and there's no safety with money, but they're fun. And then my my aunts and uncles, like they have a lot of money in the bank and they have paid off cars and paid off homes, but they're freaking miserable. So out of the two, it was like, okay, I'll just, I'll just have fun because I like having fun. So that's <laughs> what I did. I earned so much money in my 20s, Chris, and I had nothing to show for it. It burned a hole in my pocket. When I met my husband, he was on the other realm. Like he had a salary, you know, he had a, he has a master's in engineering. He had this lean Six Sigma job, very safe. You know, when I met him, he was making $130,000 a year, right? Like super safe guy. His mortgage was always paid, almost paid off. He had paid off cars, 401s, all of that stuff. And yet he was like very frugal. So he knew how to do the masculine, but his mentality was, well, this is just what my job pays and this is what you earn. Like there was no manifestation. There was no fun. There was no calling it in. And so at first I was like very annoyed by him because it was like, I'm like, no, we don't do frugal. Frugal is not fun, right? But then I had this moment, I'm like, oh my God, but he has money, okay? Mina, your ass has always been broke, right? Like you earn more than him, but you have nothing to show for it. So I went into this process where I was like, okay, teach me. Obviously, you know more about money. I didn't like the part where it's not fun, but teach me, right? So I spent like a year and a half just with him. I was like, what are investments? What's a 401k? How does money really work? And like just learning from him and then reading like masculine books. These would be your Susie Ormans, your Dave Ramsey's, your, you know, the masculine container of money, which I found really boring and really horrible. But I'm like, obviously I don't know this. So he spent this year, year, and, and this is even before my business. So he taught me all of this stuff. And then I'm like, okay, well now I know some stuff about money, but it's so freaking boring, you know? And I was like, okay, well, how do I add like, Mina Irfan to it like how do I add like the manifestation part 
and like there's gotta be a happy medium like this part is like miserable but then you have money and this part's really fun but like it's like you don't ever have money right like it's never in your bank it never grows and then I started developing this process and then I had a conversation with him I was like okay I've been a very good student like I surrendered I learned from you please don't get mad but I feel like you could learn a little bit about manifestation. I was like, now can I like help you a little bit? Okay. So it was a little triggering for him in the beginning, but I started like saying, I want you to enjoy money. Like he would buy us stuff and then not buy himself anything. I'm like, I, I want you to, he's, he, I'm like, I want you to buy nice clothes. Nope. Then I found this phrase. I said, you would be providing for me because he's a, he sees himself as a provider, right? I will feel provided for, if you buy yourself new clothes, ding, ding, ding. I'm like, I, I, I like hit something. He's like, Oh, okay. I can go shopping. I'm like, yes. So like convincing him that he's not actually taking care of me yeah. by taking care of himself. So that was the whole process. Then, then he went from what he earns in one year to earning it in a month because he was missing that manifestation bit. When I had, done this for myself and done it for him and that was the point where I'm like oh my god this is what the world is missing I felt ready at that point to like take that to my students I'm like guys some of us have like the masculine wounding and some of us have the feminine wounding if you can heal it you can not only attract money have fun with it but you can grow it you can it's gonna be safe like you're not gonna be sabotaging your money so we need that union between the two uh so good yeah I love that um it's where I want to sort of jump to now is where we we go into the book but later is that you start talking about business and of course the thing that I always teach is relationship of business is exactly the same energetics and so it's so important to understand that our relationship and our connection to our own masculine feminine is going to um, express externally into a good partnership which has that polarity in it and that is that um that uh that foundation for a good healthy business so i'd love to start to talk about that and get your thoughts your initial thoughts on the dynamics between the relationship and business and how to uh really move through into creating a beautifully successful business so I would say for me, it's been, again, that polarizing the masculine and feminine first inside of me and then in then in, in my relationship. So in my business, the structures or the masculine is, you know, Thinkific and their team, because that's who I, I use for all my courses, the YouTube channel, and then my team, they hold the structures for me. They're like, you don't worry about anything. You're, you, you just go, you know, talk on live streams. Like you just go teach your thing. So they hold all of that together for me so that I can be in my flow. Now, before I had a team, before I had, you know, all of these other people helping me, it was internally, it was like, okay, what do I need to automate? where I'm not messing with it, I'm not changing it. It's not a daily, like what we call my husband and I'll call it like it shouldn't be a daily window open on your on your system. Like you where it's just automated, it's done. That was okay. I, I always kept myself like pretty minimalist and streamlined. I'm gonna do my YouTube and then think if that's it. People would say, you should go on blah blah. Nope. This is what I do. This is what works. And a lot of the people, my colleagues that were doing all of these things all at once, you know, 
they they're still not making what I make in a month because their their energy is like it's too many places and then their talent kind of gets watered out. So you have to think of it this way, you know, the riverbed is the masculine and the river, the water, the flow is the feminine. If you don't have a riverbed, you are not a river, you are a, a puddle of water, which is then going to just dry up. And so I'm very conscious that what's the riverbed so that I can be in my flow. And if I'm ever feeling like I can't be the river, I'm like, wait, hold on, who's holding me right now? Because someone's dropping the ball somewhere, because I'm not feeling contained and held at the time. Now, another thing I'll say, I get this question all the time that uh, people that work together, you know, husband and wife teams, often, you know, have polarity issues and this and that. And like, how come we don't have it? So I want to talk a little bit about this. First of all, um, my husband and I, we're a team, but we don't really work together in the sense like he's got his own business. You know, he's I mean, he has his full time job and then he's got his stocks and investments and all of the stuff he does. I just lost my my ring light. So hopefully it's still good. The lighting is still good. So he he supports me from the masculine. So, for example, if I go to him and I say, oh, um, babe, I can't figure this out. Can you please help me with this? Notice that I'm keeping the polarity. I'm not dictating him. I'm not his boss. I'm not treating him like an employee. In fact, the way that I'm even asking puts me more in the feminine role and him in the problem-solving masculine role. So this is a big thing. We both work from home. And we, you know, we, we cope, you know, parent, we have our kids here, we household together. And we have this monster of a business while he still has a full time job and like his stuff that he's doing. But I make sure that when I'm when he's helping me, and he helps in a lot of different tasks. It's like he's helping me from the masculine, he's problem solving. He's not another one of my employees, like he's not a team member in the sense that I'm the boss. So, so keep the polarity and men love to solve our problems. Like they like helping like that. You should see him like just even when I say, oh, I need this done, you know, in two days. He's like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm like, it's 11 p.m. I was just telling you, no, I don't want you. He's like, no, 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 I got it. It's like it just it makes them feel so good. So if you do it from a place of like, you know, the feminine going to the masculine versus like two alpha doll dogs brawling at each other, it's going to be a very different response. Uh, Mina, I actually was just having a moment because uh, this is a little bit like, I feel like a manifestation. I remember watching your content years and years ago. And I just remember the first like frequency hit that I received from it was I was like, wow, she understands desire. Like, does she embodies it? She knows it. And it's so integrated with the divine. And I love how you say that divine uh, desire is a preview of what God has in store for me. And you're coupling that with something that you said that became one of your mantras is like everything I touch, you have the Midas touch turns to gold. And to me, I was just like, I just remember it now I'm like, kind of like, like a little bit fangirling just, you know, Justin, I have spoken to you before, but I'm like, Oh, yeah, I remember just who I was in my body watching you do like very casually on your bed or something. And you were just like saying like you are here, you are meant to it's your birthright to be abundant, to call forth your inheritance from the, the storehouses of heaven and and to to live in that prosperity. And so I, I just want to like uh, talk about like a little bit of 
how that then became like an embodied state of an identity now. But I, I feel like even uh, still a lot of people don't have that uh, connection point between thinking that desire is pure in and itself. They think that God has his desires. I don't, you know, they don't feel that there's this match. And, and what, what, what I remember watching that YouTube video years ago, and it was just like, she gets that desire that God is dreaming through her. She's not creating any resistance of, should I have this? Is this too much? Is I'm asking too much? And so um, I, I'm very curious, like how, how you came onto that journey of just like accepting your desires wholeheartedly. So I, when I was little, so I was born into Islam, like my parents were Muslims, they weren't very strict or like orthodox, because they were immigrants here, and they were busy, but they were Muslim. And so I grew up wanting to be a good Muslim and like, and I'm wanting to believe in God. But what I saw was no matter how I tried to do religion as a child, there was always some grown up, not my parents, but like outside people, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, you're doing this wrong. So I went through this journey where I just kind of disowned religion for a while, but never disowned God. I was like, you know, people are really annoying. Religion is really annoying. But like, I kept believing in God. I was just like, I just don't want religion. So when I went to university, I had the opportunity to actually study religions as well as part of the like my electives. I started taking these classes and started studying religion. And I realized that all the books, all of the world's books, like uh, talk about this abundant God. And like, you can have whatever you want. And like, I'm like, oh my God, God was never the peasant. It was, it was the annoying people that added shit to it. And like, and then misinterpreted stuff. I also learned that all of the religious books were not written in the language that we now like read them in. Like there's a translation process. And I know knowing two languages that I so struggle uh, translating things from Urdu to English because it loses its meaning. And I'm like, oh my God, what if when the Bible was translated, it lost most of its meaning because I can't even translate a simple word without so giving so many disclaimers to my students, you know, you know, or at this time I didn't have students, but just people. So um, I, I started realizing, I'm like, God was never saying not to have stuff. God was never saying you're wrong for wanting things. In fact, God's very abundant because look at how many of us God created. Like, why didn't God just create one human? Why did God have to have billions? Why didn't God make everyone to look the same? Why did he want so many flavors and colors and heights and weights and all of this abundance, right? Why did God want us to create these buildings and these, you know, societies God is very abundant. So that's where it started kind of clicking in for me. The desire part was I would notice that I would have a desire internally. And then I would start getting these movement kind of cues like do this, say that. it was very subtle at first. Do And, and I didn't know that that's where I was being led. But when I would follow, the desire would manifest. And that's where it came from. I started realizing I'm like, oh, my God, what if? God's already decided and that's why I'm given the desire and then I'm led there and and then the analogy came where I was watching a movie trailer and I was like 
oh my god like this movie trailer was clipped from a movie that means the movie is there when i see the movie trailer i'm not like oh that'd be a fantastic movie but like how is it gonna happen and who's gonna make it and do i have to make it but how i don't know any of these actors like i don't have no it's the trailer because it's already been made all i have to go is show up and watch the movie right? So that's where all of those, this was not like any of this was not overnight. It was like these slow folding conversations with God and then things expanding and learning. Anytime I've like, just followed that desire and, and done those breadcrumbs, like every single time, magic in my life. Anytime I've second guessed it and not done it, it hasn't manifested. Because like, I didn't accept the assignment. I'm like, nope, nope, I'm gonna be a peasant. I'm not gonna do it. So now I never, let me give you an example. This one's kind of a, a funny one. I had this, um, when I had, I have my main channel, The Universe Grew. I had this desire a few years ago to start a second channel called Million Dollar Babes. I don't know if you guys know this, know that channel. I, I posted our first interview on that channel. So that mm -hmm. was like supposed to be my like catch all channel. Things that I felt like don't really belong in this channel. So like if I did a haul or I wanted to talk, I just wanted to go and riff on money. Or like business, because I was doing more inner work stuff here. I, I created the second channel. Then all of a sudden there was a desire. And this is the one I was starting to second guess. It was like, well, why don't you share your Cartier bracelet that you just bought? Or like, you know, unbox that Van Cleef thing. And I was like, no, no, like that's too much. Like, then I was like, no, 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 hold on. God is saying, show your Van Cleef, show your Cartier. So I shared a couple of those unboxings. Fast forward a few weeks later, I'm teaching in my CEO boss queen, which is more of a higher price point course. And I have several students in there that were new. And I was like, oh, how did you find me? They said, oh my God, I was looking for this Cartier bracelet. Oh. And I found you. And then you said something. And I was like, who the hell is this chick? You said, I'm allergic to hard work. And I was like, who is this? And I started Googling you, found your other channel. And now they're in like a package with me with for like $30,000. I'm like, that's why I got, like, it's just the Cartier bracelet, right? Yeah. I could have been like, oh, why do I want to show this? And is this too showy-offy? God had a plan. Wow. Okay. That, that bracelet unboxing, several of them have brought in so many people. They're like, oh my God, I thought I was looking for a Cartier bracelet and you freaking changed my life and changed my marriage. And now I'm making this money and now this is happening and now this happened. And I'm just like, oh, God has a plan. Stop second guessing God like some peasant over here. So now I, I'm like, even if God said, you know, go buy the most expensive thing on the planet and like show it off, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because there's always a bigger moment there. There's always a bigger message. Oh, I love it. Makes me think of, um, you know, the whole sort of materialism thing. My point of view on it is that someone created that bracelet. Someone spent time at something of like extraordinary beauty. That's someone's creation. And then someone else gets to go and buy it and give them money for it and exchange something. And all I see is like all of this um, incredibly creative stuff that people are making that's come from their heart. And so 
if we can like purchase each other's stuff, like, you know, in the sort of metaphorical ancient markets that we're all sharing and like, I made this thing, do you want to exchange it for money? And and so I, I really love partaking in other people's creations and being able to buy and support them. It's so important to me. And so that's really my take on that. So when there's these unboxings and it's just a, uh, it's not that I, you know, it's not, I don't do the unboxings, but if it was me, it would be, I'm not unboxing this to show you what I got. I'm showing you this creation that someone has made that's so extraordinary, extraordinary, beautiful, and that we all get to see it and share it, and especially when they've created a beautiful box and packaging. Um, it's just like delightful. You know, I don't know if that's more for the feminine who just gets delighted by gifts, and um, but it's something that really sparks in our heart. And so that I just, I love that and so that I love the story about how our what is going through our heart is the route to what we want and we just have to follow it without second guessing just it comes through move comes through move and just keep going in that way I mean I know Chris is going to really just love this whole this whole thing about the you know Cartier and <laughs> oh my god I literally love it so much um, I think just as we are are wrapping up this this uh, conversation, which honestly is so juicy, and it, I mean because this book, anyone, please get it. It's called Lady Balls, Mina Ifran. Like it is just so life changing, and I, I. But I do want to talk about just a couple more things. And one thing that I absolutely love is you know that you are creating a legacy, and that also you've really. A lot of us that are going on the spiritual awakening journey know what it feels like to be the cycle breaker, to to really say, hey, I'm going to stop this generational line so that, you know, I can create in 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 my children a different perspective. And, you know, I love seeing you online with your kids. And um, and one thing that really hit me was um, because some of this wounding of being an ultra empath or being this advanced soul is that we we come in as healers but we fall victim to being people pleasers and over givers and really coming from uh, a a part of us that's not uh, sustained or fulfilled within ourselves and you you spoke about um you know after the passing of of your mother how there was still just a brigade of 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 family members that were like okay we need to make sure that we're going to be set up and that like Mina's gonna uh provide and and take care and then you set a boundary you you said you hung up the phone and 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 that was where you moved on and but it was in this like I have to protect my own. I have to protect myself. I have to protect, you know, my responsibility, my kids, my future and all like, you know, my family. And so can you talk about just like that importance? Cause we had in the beginning talked about just sort of this unconditional love, like love and light, but there's no boundaries. There's like almost this like leaky kind of like energy. Like I have to sacrifice and become a martyr and your, your way is correct. I like, I'm like, I need to be around more people like you. Oh my God. Yes, Chris. So I saw these people. And the thing is that these, these were not bad people. These were 
good people that my mom turned into predators because when love and light people show up and they have no boundaries they have the ability to turn good people into predators as well because they are not predators with other people right they're just predators with the people like imagine if some woman shows up and she's like here's some money here i would see my mom calling them and saying uh well how much will you earn for that job and they oh no no don't worry about it so we had like three generations of people that my mom was supporting and then my mom was not only supporting her brother, she would support his wife. And then his his wife would say, well, I have these three sisters. So then she sent money to those three sisters. And then the three sisters will say, well, I have these kids. So it was like this like pyramid scheme. And then of my mom just sending money. The thing that didn't make it in the book that I want to say about this is that not once when I was going through my divorce, when I was a single mom, did these people ever call and say, hey, are you okay? I'm not expecting anything from them. But like, hey, are you doing okay? In fact, I heard constantly that they were spreading rumors about me that like said, oh, what, Mina must have done something wrong. Why'd she end up divorced? We knew she would end up div-. like all of this stuff while my mom is sacrificing her life and her joy in her own time with her kids to send them money. So when she in fact, there's another story that didn't make in the book, when I called them to tell them that my mom has been diagnosed with stage four cancer, like that day, they said, you're lying and hung up on me. Because they couldn't, they weren't ready to take in the thing that their bank account was like dying now, right? Like the person supporting them, they thought I was joking, or like, or just making this up because I was always kind of like trying to get in between them, trying to save my mom, right? Like my mom was just sacrifice. I saw this woman never sleep more than four hours of her life ever, more than four hours, never. Like th- that was her sleeping routine, four hours and then back out. So they knew that I don't like it, that my mom sends the money and she would make me send money even when I, as I, I got older. So they thought it was some kind of a scheme. So when my mom died and they called. I thought that they're calling for condolences. I thought we were going to cry together on the phone. And they called to make sure that I was going to continue sending them money. Mm-hmm. And there was just something in me in that moment that just flipped the switch. And I was like, oh, my God, they're never going to love me. They're never going to love us. We are just a bank account for them. And that's the thing that. My mom and I didn't have a relationship, Chris, until I was 16. Did I want my children to they carry on that legacy? Like I had a moment where I was like, oh, my God, I can put our mom in daycare. I can take, you know, put this baby that's about to be born in daycare. I can go over to work. I can't expect my husband to support all of these people now. And then I'm like, no, I'm exhausted. I don't want to do that. I finally have something here. And so I, I had to make a moment that my children get to come first and I get to come first. And here's the thing. It's been 13 years now since that incident. They're all fine. Some of them got businesses. Some of them got jobs. A few of them found my cousin who's now doing the thing that my mom was doing. And I'm always lecturing her on, on that. I'm like, you want to end up like Sheena? Go, go right ahead. Cause she's trying to become Sheena right now. So the thing is that everyone will figure it out. But like, you don't have to sacrifice. And you know what I have done for them? A lot of them saw me climbing to success and being successful. And instead of asking to put their hands in my pocket, they started saying, I can have that too. 
What is she really doing? What do I need to do? So be the one that's the shining light, you know, that through your embodiment and through your success, you're inspiring people. But don't let don't be the person that everyone else drowns. Like, don't don't let them do that. Like, I'm not trying to be a life raft. Like, I'm trying to be the lighthouse. Yeah. Do you feel like you uh, inherited any, like, I was your mom in her giving, was it feeling like this obligation or like this guilt or like, I have to like do it. And you know how sometimes when people are like, oh, I'm going to give because, you know, or even then they set the boundary and you were like, okay, cool. There's a hard stop. But then was there a part of you that was like, uh, I feel a little bit guilty. Should I help them? Like kind of uh, feeling afterwards. Oh my God, Chris. Yes. I went through this whole process of feeling intense guilt. Like for example, my husband would plan this amazing vacation for us and we'd be going and then a relative would call and um, you know, some of the closer relatives that I was still talking to, not Tina's extended family, but like they call and say, Oh, I'm going through a hard time. And then all of a sudden I would start feeling guilty for going on this lavish vacation that my husband's planning and then we would go and I would be worried about my family. And I realized that that's not fair. First of all, that's not fair to him. He works so hard to provide this trip for him and his family. And I'm making it all about me and my guild and my family. So the worst thing I did is I started including them into my stuff. So in, it, I would say, well, you come with us or um, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go on this vacation, but like, you can come live with us. And what started happening was disastrous because remember how we were talking about how, when your nervous system isn't ready and you start expanding it, you become, you know, those lottery winners. What started happening is their nervous system wasn't used to being in the situation that I was in. And so I would have them come in my house and they would start like, you know, pitting me against my kids or my husband against my, my, me. And my husband started pointing out, he's like, I love your family, but I, I noticed that every time they come, you and I get into an argument, we're screaming at the kids, but when they're not there, we're fine. And it really, really hit me later on. I have a couple examples that are just going to change your complete paradigm. Like they've just changed my life. I had hired a housekeeper way back just she was coming once a week to, to clean and when she when I was hiring her I said well wh what were you thinking about in terms of her money and she said so in my mind I had a certain rate that I was prepared to go for because that's what I was told in the neighborhood everyone was paying and the rate was um, you know $30 an hour just so you know because I think the numbers are important here she comes and I said, what were you thinking? And she said, well, my husband said, don't take a, a penny less than $15 an hour. And I'm like, damn it. I wanted to pay her more, right? So I decided I was going to hire her at $15 an hour and then raise her price. Big mistake. So I hired her at $15 an hour, tested it out a couple of weeks, found her to be fantastic. A few weeks later, I said, hey, babe, just so you know, I had planned on paying this much. That's the going rate. I don't know why your husband told you to charge this, but this is what everyone's paying. And I would like to raise you to this, this number. So I raised her to the higher number. Her container wasn't ready for it, right? Remember that if she was ready for that number, she would have just asked for it. And she went into this extreme self-sabotage after that. I still could, I didn't even know, I couldn't put the two and two together at that time. Like her whole life started going into shambles over this new higher rate that she was earning until like we couldn't even work together anymore. 
same thing happened with a with a different person. I had hired them for something else uh, that they were helping me with. And uh, after a couple of weeks, I thought they were doing a great job. And I decided that I wanted to give them a bonus and I was going to give them more money. I give them more money and they picked this huge fight with me the following week, blaming me, accusing me of things that I haven't done. And I'm like, what is happening? The third time this happened to me, I was like, oh, no, I'm the lottery. I'm the one that's coming in and like seeing them at a level that they haven't seen. They don't see themselves at that level. They don't have the container for it. And when I'm forcefully taking them into that place, their nervous system doesn't know how to handle it. And they're like getting into accidents, pitting, picking fights, picking, you know, getting into situations with their family, sabotaging money coming from other area. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I made it a rule in my life to never increase someone's salary or their or what they're what they're used to without their permission, meaning they have to be in on it. They have to be aware of it. Recently, it happened to us again. Actually, my husband, we had a pool guy. Uh, when we uh, moved into this house and we loved him and he was thinking of quitting his business and we found out it was because he had too many clients. He's amazing. Of course he has too many clients and he couldn't handle it. So his response was, I just have to quit this business and start another one. My husband coached him a little bit and said, no, 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 you just have to raise your prices. You don't quit your business. And when it's successful, you raise your prices and the people that want to come with you will pay that price. So he's like, oh, great idea. I can do that. He's like, yes. And my husband raised his price. And within a week, he sabotaged the entire business. Mm. So I, I I reminded him, I'm like, remember those three scenarios? I'm like, you you just, you lotteried them. And then they don't, their nervous system isn't ready. We almost, if we're ever going to do that again, we almost have to put them in like our coaching program or something to expand their container. So you have to understand that it is it is wrong of you to take someone who hasn't done the inner work that you have done, putting in the hours, the blood, the tears, the sweat, you know, all of that work to earn the place that you're in, whether it's a good life or more money or a new relationship, and you feeling guilty and bringing them there, you're actually destroying their life. Like, if this is going to change everyone's paradigm, because I tried to do what I did, I tried to pick people up and bring them to my level before they were ready. And actually, I, that's not right. That's actually wrong. That's not me being generous. That's me interrupting someone's container expansion process. And they could get in an accident tomorrow. They could manifest a disease because they are not ready for that. It's reminding me of when people have addictions. It's the sort of the opposite of that. So say someone in the family has an addiction, there's a tendency for others to help, to keep them afloat, to not let them to really hit, not let them hit rock bottom. And actually that holds them in this, the holding pattern that is detrimental that they can't get out of because it's in this place where there's no energy. And so they move more and more into depression rather than just letting them learn their own lesson. And as they do that without any help you I mean I guess that can be the support but as you let them hit rock bottom all the energy is in the rock bottom for them to come back up and so within the whole addiction space when people are trying to keep people at an equilibrium um, it's so detrimental and then that's when we realize that we really just need to come in all into our own energy and just you know really sort of, everyone sort out themselves and those when we all at some point have to hit rock bottom in order to sort 
sort of learn the lessons and that we can't take on other people's lessons for them. And so that was such a huge revelation for me because, you know, you always sort of want to help people. You think you're doing the best thing. And what I notice in um, anyone who has a lot of empathy is that the energy is really out projected out psychically into everybody else's energy field, which is, um, it's, it's, for anyone receiving that has a repulsion. And so often when you're giving to people, they will take it, but they'll also feel resentful to you um, because it's it's just not a good energy. So I really always want to sort of speak towards to, to empaths and say, you've got to really learn to contain your energy because there's also a whole big thing with empaths not earning huge amounts of money because the energy is too leaky. It's too in other people's energy. And we know that, you know, in sort of the, you know, in psychology, when we are pushing our psychic energy onto others, um, we're then creating attachments. And once we create attachments, we've got karma attached to the attachments. So as we just pull back the projection, pull back all the sort of that we have to help everybody and do this and do that and um, sort of life save everybody and just come and focus on ourselves, bring all of our focus back onto ourselves. That's when we really let go of the uh, the um, uh, attachment. And then that stops that sort of karmic loop. And everybody then is in their own energy, sorting themselves out. And of course, that every people, People need to hit rock bottom. They need to go into these places in order to really find that power within them, which is there's so much power in a rock bottom. And it's actually so many epiphanies and so many universal truths held in there. And also it's in that that sort of rock bottom when there's there's the most silence. And it's in that silence that God whispers to you. He whispers what the solution is. You can't hear that if, um, if you don't have that silence, if there's everybody else trying to sort of, you know, save you. Mm. So I love that take um, you have on that. Do uh, you have another question, Chris? Yes, uh, we could talk to you all day long, Mina, but I, I I'm like, very inspired about you know just to continue to support you and watch your journey but like what do you, what's what's god holding in in his heart and in your heart for the future your vision um lady balls everyone we will like put the link in the bio and just in the description this book is so iconic it's iconic it's the only way that i can describe it and i'm just going to put my my wish list out for you i think you're the next oprah like you can completely like from the presence the beauty everything the message this is a message that like a spiritual truth like I love the Eckhart Tolle's we talked about this the, the Michael Singers and the you know the love and light community but the new paradigm of where higher consciousness is moving it needs to be more integrated it needs to be more embodied it needs to be even more practical to us to an extent like I feel like I've been like floating in the 5d for eight years during my spiritual awakening and like as you're speaking about how to actually create a container for it to be expressed with integrity and harmony on the planet in this present moment i feel like mina you have many of the keys god has given you the keys to really uh, sing this truth to the to the top so i i want you to go to the top i want everyone to get the book um but yes tell us what do you feel is is next for you 
Oh my God. Thank you so much. Um, you know, God's still in that space with me where I get like led into things and I never know what's coming. It's like, I'm always the last one to find out. Like I, I knew the book was being written after I had already written two chapters, right? I can feel something huge coming on. It always comes to me in like these smells and these textures and these like colors, it's really bizarre, but like, I don't know it until I'm already in it. And I don't know if this comes from my past because I would get uh, overwhelmed and I would literally tell God, okay, give it to me slow or like, just tell me one step at a time. And maybe we still have that conversation going and that's our agreement. I can feel it. I see these, these colors of like pink and orange, and I, I can smell things that are very expansive but also very familiar like I've been there in some realm before and I can feel my energy having to expand so much wider than I've ever expanded before the one thing that has been revealed to me is that I need to um, channel deeper and channel more so I've been channeling for about three three and a half four years and I'm being asked to go deeper. Like there is a another layer of depth there. So that's already been revealed, but I don't know what's going to come out of that yet. But I can feel it's big. <laughs> uh, we can only, we know it's going to be big. And this is, I feel like this book has really, there was this liberation process that it's like, oh, now let's see where she can go because you've expressed your truth. Your truth is out there. I think this is going to be, the first of many books. I can't wait to actually, I live by a Barnes and Noble, so I can't wait to go and get one because I, everyone support this book. This, this is going to be the first of many. So um, we love you, Mina. Thank you again for this amazing conversation. I mean, I'm like looking at the clock. I'm like, we just kept talking and talking and talking so high frequency. And we hope that this was the transmission that everyone needed to hear um, Jess and I, we completely are sending you virtual hugs. And so congrats on the new book and we're excited for everyone to go and get it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and thank you for listening. Yes. Bye everybody. Talk soon. Bye. See you later.